Okay, who picked planning a wedding? Yeah, planning a wedding, that's a pretty significant event. Planning a holiday? Yeah, a few bit of planning. Planning a house move? Yeah. Um, what other large events did you think of planning? Just shout them out. Parties? Anything else? Funerals? Well, you plan them, don't you? They don't just happen. Do you know what? When you plan something, the details are really, really important. Because you want whatever it is that you've planned to go just right, don't you? You don't want to leave anything to chance. There are loads of discussions with people. You're looking at the various options and the alternatives. You're looking at the cost implications. You normally end up with a huge long to-do list. I think probably the biggest things I've planned would be our wedding and a kind of major family holiday for a month all around South Africa. They took huge amounts of planning. You look at options, you look at alternatives. If it's a wedding, you look at colour schemes, you look at who's going to wear what, you allocate the jobs of who's going to do what. That can be a bit controversial. Who's going to sit where? Who's going to do what? You collect your resources and your information. There's loads of energy goes into it. You're anticipating it. You might have a rehearsal. I thought it was great when we chose where we were going to have our wedding reception. We went to about five or six different places for meals to test them all out. Absolutely great. You practice, you plan, you rehearse, you have a trial run. You anticipate, you have final checks and preparations. You may have to negotiate complex family dynamics. It's got much more complicated planning where the Banks family go on holiday since the kids were teenagers. It used to be, I decided where we went and off we went and it worked fantastically. And then it was, they decided where they wanted to go, and I had to go. And that's, hmm, I'm not quite so keen on that one. So you have to negotiate complex family dynamics. You have a contingency plan in place of emergencies. What happens if the church sets fire? What happens, Mr. and Mrs. Dash, if the food doesn't arrive? You have the excitement of going through the plans with other people. Man, there's a lot of planning involved, isn't there, in a significant event? I want you to keep those thoughts in mind and how complex it is, and I want you to use your imagination and imagine that you're seated up in the heavenlies before the creation of the world, and you get to be God, okay? And as part of the Trinity, sitting up there in the heavenlies, you're just chatting together, and you're planning the creation of the world. You're looking down on space and time, you're thinking about the variety and the detail of creation. You're thinking about the birth of humanity. You're thinking how you can love the people you create. You're thinking about how you're going to share with everybody and how you're going to bless them with everything they could ever need. You're going through the details of how this plan is going to work. You're thinking about what it's going to cost you. You're deciding between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who is going to do what. You're weighing up the options. Jesus volunteers to the Father to die, to redeem us. The Trinity plan his birth, 
the place, the time, how his earthly parents would be chosen and prepared. They think about how people are going to react. They go through all the details of his life and of time and history. They anticipate, they share with love and delight with each other the plans that they have, anticipating how they would adopt, how they could provide for us and interact with us. The Holy Spirit volunteers to whisper to us words of comfort and counsel and guidance. Hopefully, you get the picture. If you think I'm being a bit fanciful, I'm going to read a few verses from Ephesians 1 for you, from the message. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is. He is the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and he takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus. What pleasure he took in planning this. He thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. That church is some planning, isn't it? Think about the planning we did. Wow. Just listening to that and the context, the planning that God did. So that's just to launch us really into the book of Ephesians. I think it's a fantastic, amazing book with the greatness of God running right through it. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus with two great themes. What we know about God, who he is, and our identity, and then what we do for God as part of his body, the church. It brings out the link between belief and behaviour really, really clearly. Paul covers everything from heaven to earth and back again. He shows how Jesus is eternally and tirelessly bringing everything and everyone together, how every detail in our lives contributes to God's plan worked out by Christ, in which everything comes together. It's a summary, this book, of the good news of the gospel and its implications. As I've been reading Ephesians 1, it really challenges you. It brings a sense of wonder and worship and challenge to consistency of life. Ephesians is a combination of Christian doctrine and Christian duty, of Christian faith and Christian life, of what God has done through Christ and what we must do as a consequence. It's of covenant relationship and kingdom responsibility. Chapter 1 talks about the new life we have in Christ. Chapter 2, most of 3, talks about the new society which God has created through Christ. Chapter 4 and most of 5 talks about the new standards which God expects of us, especially unity and purity. And the end of five in chapter six talks about the new relationship which God has brought us into, harmony at home and hostility to the devil. But chapter one, as I've read it and read it and read it this week, it's absolutely awesome. 
And I'm going to read it to you, both in the New International Version and the message. So you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to yakker on for hours. I am going to keep coming back to the text. And I am going to keep reading it to you. Because I really believe in the power of the word of God. So as I read it, just sit and listen. Receive it. Soak it up. Suck it up. Believe it. And really internalize what God has done for you. And as I read it, before I read it, I'm just going to pray the verses 17 and 19 over you. As we read it, I pray that the Father will give you the spirit of revelation so you may know him better, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Amen. If you want to follow it, do. But you know what? You can just sit and listen and just Holy Spirit, just stir this word up within us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, Christ. In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every 
way. If you're used to that version, you're now going to get it in the message because it just sounds slightly different. And I just want you to really hear what God's saying. I, Paul, am under God's plan, an apostle, a special agent of Jesus, writing to you faithful Christians in Ephesus. I greet you with the grace and peace poured into our lives by God our Father and our Master, Jesus Christ. How blessed is God. And what a blessing he is. He is the Father of Jesus, and he takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love, to be made whole and holy by his love, Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds, and not just barely free, abundantly free. He thought of everything. He provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. It is in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first instalment on what's coming, a reminder that we will get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. That's why, when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop thanking God for you every time I prayed. I would think of you and I'd give thanks. But I'd do more than thank, I'd ask. Ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is he's calling you to, to grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, <clears throat> the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy boundless strength and all this energy issues from Christ God raised him from death and set him on the throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe everything from galaxies to governments no name and no power exempt from his rule and not just for the time being but forever he is in charge of it all he has the final word on everything. At the centre of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. 
The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. You can wake up now if you've been snoozing. If you've been really listening and meditating and taking that in, has the truth of those words really sunk in? You know, it's not clear from the English translation, but the Greek text of Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14, is basically just one very long sentence. Paul starts in verse 3 with the phrase, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he proceeds to tell us what God has done, and he doesn't stop to take breath, but he continues right on until the end of verse 14. He cannot stop talking about God. He speaks of all three members of the Trinity, the Father who planned our salvation from eternity past, the Son who accomplished our salvation on the cross, and the Spirit who signed, sealed and delivered us in our new relationship. To be honest, this chapter is huge. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, verse 3. Yes, that reads every capital letters, bold type, red letters, shouting out at us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Everything we need for life, for provision, for confidence. We, you, are God's most treasured possession. He has lavished everything on you. He chose you. He loves you. He predestined you. He adopted you. He redeemed you. He forgave you. He gave you his grace. He's shown you his will. And he's sealed you with his Holy Spirit. You are a blessed person. And I'm going to just continue to focus on God's plan and calling because this flows out of his greatness. As we know him better and as the eyes of our heart are enlightened, we begin to understand and appreciate the hope to which he's called us, the riches of his inheritance and incomparable power for us who believe. God's plan. We've talked about planning, haven't we, and what you planned and God's will. Predestination is a very complex theological theme. It's provoked discussion and argument and debate for centuries. Are you a Calvinist? Are you an Armenian? Haven't you got a clue what I'm talking about? I used to love it. In fact, it's what first got me interested in theology. I would argue for hours and hours about the different positions. But you know, these days, I must be grey and older and wiser, but I don't find the theology as compelling or as important as knowing the master theologian and growing to be the person he desires. So rather than focus on the theology, I'm just going to draw out some of the meaning. There are loads of different theological interpretations of this passage. If you want to go through some of them, then come and have a chat afterwards. But you know, he chose us before the world began. That's amazing, isn't it? The disclosure 
of the design of sovereign grace in time concentrated on Jesus. He's the sum and solution of everything. His will is unsearchable. It's beyond our understanding. It is a masterpiece of mercy. God is the unhurried arbiter of time. His holy character just vouches that his secrets are mysteries of godliness. Basically, what I'm saying is, it's a mystery and you ain't going to understand it anyway. That's in Warsaw speak. I can dress it up, but that is the bottom line. God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before the world began, before the world was set down, God chose you. John Piper talks about this being the great biblical truth of election. Before the creation of the universe, God thought of me. He fixed his gaze on me. He chose me for himself. Do you know, he didn't choose me because I was already in Christ of my own doing. He chose me that I might be in Christ. He didn't choose me because he saw me as a believer, but so that I might become a believer. He didn't choose me because I chose him, but so that I might choose him. He didn't choose me because I was holy or good, but that I might become holy and good. God's calling is irrevocable. Having believed, we are marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, people discuss, cogitate, chew over, get in a right lather about, and can be anxious about what is God's will for my life. When you're younger, that's quite a big thing. When you're older, you still think it through. But you know what? I'm just going to give a few tips here from experience. And we need to be assured, and this is absolutely key, that God's will is more about being than doing. And if you understand this, then you ain't going to get your knickers in a knot, to put it in common parlance. His will is more about being than doing. Being the person he desires. Growing in relationship with him and giving him glory because what you do is secondary and it flows out of this. And sometimes circumstances don't make sense. So if you're in a place where you've struggled with or you're not sure about or the will of God doesn't seem to add up, don't stress because you know what? It never adds up by human calculations. It can be easy to let the how get in the way of the what God wants us to do. We cannot figure out how to do, very often, what he's called us to do. But it isn't always meant to make sense. But if we respond with an open heart to his promptings, then, man, this is crazy. This doesn't make sense. Turns into, this is awesome. When we learn to live in obedience, we position ourselves for every blessing from God. We lean into God and trust him and don't try and manufacture stuff ourselves. If you think of Abraham, think of Abraham and Jacob rather than Ishmael. Ishmael was Abraham's man-made solution 
to what he thought was meant to happen. But actually, it wasn't what God was calling because he, he tried to manufacture. I read a fantastic book recently called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. It was very bizarre. In fact, I had a very bizarre conversation in a restaurant in France. I was, I was on my own in June. So I'd read the book and I was just literally on the last chapter. So I went out for lunch by myself because I do like going out for lunch. And if you're by yourself, hey ho, so what if you're on your own? So I took my book with me and I'd just got the last chapter and I was just finishing the last chapter. And there was this, I can only describe them as interesting older English couple on the table next to me. And, you know, people don't, you know, people normally leave you alone, don't they? But he, halfway through the meal, she, I could see him, her prodding him. And he, and he said to her, and then he, he got her, he got, she got him to say to me, that looks like a very interesting book. What are you reading? And I'm thinking, oh, do you know what? Can't I just be left alone? So I said, I said, it's a really good book. I said, it's called The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. She goes, oh, what's that about? I thought, oh, please, Lord, I just want to eat my lunch. <laughs> so I said, well, it's about how we can circle the promises of God. And it's about, actually, an, an ancient Jewish rabbi called Honi, who prayed and prayed and prayed, because there hadn't been any rain for four years, and he drew a circle, and he stood inside the circle, and he said, I am not leaving this circle until it rains. And he prayed and he prayed, and it reigned. And this book is all about praying and circling the promises of God. Will you try explaining that in French in a restaurant? That's all I can say. So I did my best to explain what this book was. I said, you know, it's theological, but basically it's about God and answering prayers. And I thought, oh, great, that's it. And I went back to, I don't think I was eating. I went back to my very nice lunch, whatever it was, which I don't remember. And I thought, that's the end of the conversation. That's great. And then 10 minutes later, she was going like this again. She said, um, I've just looked it up on Google. <laughs> Thinking, well, you know, she, you know, they're in their 70s. And when I say they're odd, I won't tell you why they're odd, but believe me, they were odd. Um, she said, I've just looked it up on Google, and um, it looks a really interesting book. You know, what, what made you pick that one? So then we had a conversation about why I picked this book and what I thought it was saying. And I thought, thank you, and I went back to my lunch. And then just as I was, just as I was, they, they got up to leave. I just felt prompted, you know what, just give her the flipping book. So I skim read the last chapter and just went, as they were walking past with their lovely giant poodle, um, I just said, would you like to read this book? She said, oh, that would be great, she says. Thank you so much. And so she's gone away to read The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. And I just pray that from the conversation that we had and the opportunity to give her the book, that actually, she, 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 she was going to read it, that she will just understand something of God through that. Now, I'm not someone, I'm not an evangelist. I am not good at sharing my faith. In fact, she had to kind of pull it out of me, if I'm quite honest. I really did want to eat my steak. But there was just an opportunity that I didn't manufacture because I'm rubbish at it, that someone just came. And you know what? Sometimes God just gives you the opportunity to share even when you don't initiate it. And it's so obvious as the nose on the end of your face and you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So just go with what God says because he's calling us to do his will. And sometimes we only have to do a minuscule, tiny part. You know, I never thought I was going to go and 
give a book and witness to that lady while I was having my lunch in the Belfoir, Mr. and Mrs. Massey. That's where I was. Get, get, very nice. I know you're going next. I challenge you to give a book to somebody in the Belfoir while you have your lunch. <laughs> oh, I'm not sure where I was. That's it. The book, Mark Batterson. And one of the very wise things he said, because I did, fortunately, I make notes on all the books that I read, so I do have the notes even if I don't have the book. And he said, don't seek answers more than we seek God. If you seek answers, you won't find them. But if you seek God, the answers will find you. Let go and let God. Give up striving and control and let God surprise you in his way. God, are we open to you doing something unpredictable and uncontrollable? Don't seek answers. Seek God. If you seek answers, you won't find them. But if you seek God and you long after him, the answers will follow you. Because God has everything planned. He opens and he closes and he opens and he closes doors. And we grow as we learn to put God between us and our circumstances rather than allowing our circumstances to get between us and God. I'm going to say that again. We need to learn to put God between us and our circumstances rather than allowing our circumstances to get between us and God. It's easy, isn't it? When you have difficult circumstances that we're distracted by those and they get in the way of our relationship and our desire to know God. But as we put God between us and our circumstances, then we grow and we learn. Because prayer doesn't just change circumstances, it changes us. So that we see with spiritual eyes through a different filter. We see from God's perspective and not our own. And things begin to look different. As we pray, circumstances don't always change, but we're changed. And we begin to see and understand how God does. Do you know, God is honoured when you don't give up. But you continue to trust him, maybe despite difficulties or failure. If you fail, sorry, you fail if you stop trying. But if you still try, even if you fail, you're succeeding. The word of God is often counterintuitive and it doesn't always make sense by human calculations. If you try and theologically understand this passage, you can spend weeks and you can get lots of different interpretations and you can tie yourself up in knots. But do you know what? It does talk about how God's called you, how he's chosen you, how he's adopted you, how he's loved you, how he works everything together. My wish isn't God's command. His command needs to be my will. It's very easy. We can get caught into praying, God, you know, I really pray that you'll do this. And you're almost kind of telling God what to do. But actually, what he says is what we do. Musicians, can you come back, please, to come back to the platform? I'm going to read 
In case it hasn't sunk in yet, verses 15 to 21, again, from a different translation. I'm going to read it from the Living Bible this time. Praying that the eyes of your heart are going to be enlightened. Because, you know, this illumination, this enlightenment, isn't dependent, fortunately for most of you, on your mental activity or ability. You're all safe there. It's dependent totally on God, just opening our eyes. Do you know, however great or however small our intellect is, it doesn't matter. What does matter is that we ask God and the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to speak to us, because it's in the heart, not in the head. I'm going to read the verses from the Living Bible, and then I'm going to ask Rach just to sing the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And as she does that, just sit, listen, reflect, pull out of it the things that God's spoken to you this morning. Then we're going to stand and we're going to sing together that song, and then we're going to sing another song to finish. I'm just going to read again verses 5 to 21 from the Living Bible this time. That is why, ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and of the love you have for Christians everywhere, I've never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you wisdom to see clearly and really understand who Christ is and all that he has done for you. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so you can see something of the future he's called you to share. I want you to realise that God has been made rich because we who are Christ's have been given to him. I pray that you will begin to understand how incredibly great his power is to help those who believe him. It's that same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in heaven, far, far above any other king, ruler, dictator or leader. We just need to get things in perspective and welcome the Holy Spirit to just reach into our hearts that we may know who he is.